This is KMTT, Kimitzion Tetzei Torah, and we're starting a, uh, another series of Shurim on Pirkei Avot, a new series on Pirkei Avot from Harav Moshe Taradin. Towards the end of the second parak, Rabbi Elazar turns his attention to the ability to respond to Bikaros to people who will deny um, theology, monotheism, the divinity of Torah. Obviously, this was a battle and a struggle that Chazal waged on many fronts with its stukim, um, ultimately, obviously, with uh, before the end of the second base on Mikdash with paganists and many other cults and splintered factions of the Jewish people. And then, of course, the major struggle Chazal had were with Apikorsim around the time of the destruction of the second base Hamikdash with the advent of, of Christianity. Um, so Chazal had a very, very um, um, vested interest, not vested in terms of prejudicial, but certainly stressed the importance of engaging with Apikorsim and trying to defeat Apikorsim. Um, this is what Rebbe Lazar begins his... A Mishnah, Mishnah Yudalid, Rabbi Lazomer, have a shakud lil motara, invest in the study of Torah, vidama shetashuv le'apikaris, but still be able to respond to an apikaris, be able to defend the tenets and the theology of Judaism and Vavodas Hashem. Interestingly enough, though, though he challenges us to engage in theological debates with those apikorsim, he sandwiches that description by introducing the importance of Talmud Torah, a shakud lul motara, to be eager and enthusiastic and industrious in the study of Torah. And then he concludes Mishnah, he concludes Mishnah Yodalid, dal lifnei miata amel, should keep in mind in front of whom you work and labor, of course, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, v'neman hu bal melachtach sheishalim lachzchar pulasach, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu can be relied upon is uh, is neman is reliable, worthy of our faith of our dependability, to pay back our just rewards. And many commentators have probed the dynamic between the middle part of Mishnah Yudalad, encouraging people to engage in theological discourse and rebuffing and debunking the positions of the Apikorsim, and both the initial statement of the Mishnah and in particular the concluding statements of the Mishnah it would seem to be a bit of a non-sequitur. Um, and, and that's one of the most fascinating aspects of Perkyov, was to try to discover the hidden links between what oftentimes a very complex, hybrid, not easily integrated statements. Some claim, for example, that a person who engages in theological discourse or theological debate may himself falter, may himself stray in his own um, theological beliefs. So that person who engages in Kirov or engages in theological debate has to be even more cautious to look to Torah for answers, to look to Torah for the theological basis. Um, I think that perhaps in addition to that reading, there could be a, a contrast between the two. Not that the study of Torah will bolster your own faith and allow you to succeed, to allow you to vanquish the Apikorus, but perhaps those who engage in the broader philosophical, metaphysical, 
theological discussions of Judaism, and in particular defending Judaism against its opponents, not necessarily those who dislike Jews, but those who are who are um, who, who deny God or deny basic tenets of our religion, may sometimes find it more difficult to study Torah in a parochial narrow sense. They are they they are engaged in the larger formulas of articulating Judaism. And very often we find this contrast between those who uh, are, are engaged in the broader equations, the broader formula of making Torah um, digestible, understandable, comprehensible to larger groups of people, whether they be Jews, whether they be those who are hostile to Judaism, in the case of Epicurus, or even just Jews who are looking for solutions and looking for meaning. And those who are involved in the myopic not in a bad way, in the detailed, nitty-gritty, focused study of Torah, who feel the yoke of Torah upon their, upon their shoulders, Kabbalah's old Torah. And Rebbe Lazar is perhaps seeking a blend of the two, should have the facility and the ability to engage in the larger discussion of Torah and religion and the meaning of it all, without ignoring the directed, focused study of Torah, have a shakud lulmo Torah, and, in the end of the Mishnah, not just the study of Torah, but the self-image of someone who is working in Torah, the amelus in Torah, and who is almost indebted to a baal melachtecha, to a Baruch Hu, to study that Torah. It's not just the field of study that may seem narrow to someone whose sights are set to the larger picture, but also the self-image of, of an Eved. Very often we find there are different types of Jews, those who are able to cast themselves as Avadim, as an Eved Hashem, or, or comfortable in that state of mind or that image of an Eved. Very often those people who are larger articulators of larger structures of Judaism, who occupy their minds and their interests in that study, have a harder time with the profile of an Evid. Very often those whose minds are attuned to larger models um, are more independent-minded, more creative, more self-assertive intellectually, and their ability to cast themselves as an Evid sometimes is inhibited. So it could be that Riptarfon, or excuse me, Lazar, was carefully crafting part A and C of this Mishnah, of this three-part statement, to balance out the potential excesses of Part B. Part B describes theology, philosophy, metaphysics, obviously polemics, not just the aimless discussion or the, or the uh, abstract discussion, but with a polemical end, with an agenda to, rebunk, to rebuff an Apucharis, to defeat an Apucharis. And he preceded this statement, as well as suffixed the statement with a call to Talmatara, and in particular, a call to Talmud Torah with amelus, hard work, and not just diligence, but toil, and not just toil, but an image of a person who's in heaven. So picking up on this very intriguing Mishnah of Rabbi Lazar, the last Mishnah of the second parak of Pirkei Avos cites a Mishnah in the name of Rabbi Tarifon. And it's interesting that Rabbi Tarifon's statement is inserted because Tarifon lived much later than the person who authored the first Mishnah 
of the third parak, Akavya ben Mahalalel, and it would have been natural for that Mishnah to have preceded Reb Tarfan's statement, but it's obvious that Reb Tarfan's statement in the last Mishnah, Mishnah Tesvav of Parak Sheni, is inserted in this slot because thematically it's integrated with Reb Lazar's statement. Lazar mentioned, evoked the image of a worker. Not just a worker in abstract, but of a laborer and of a workman, of a poel. He mentioned HaKadosh Baruch Hu as a Baal Malachtacha, as your employer or as your foreman, and someone that will deliver schar. Ne'eman she'ishalim l'cha schar pulaseich, will pay you. So Tarfon amplifies this image. Tarfon thought in similar terms. So therefore this Mishnah of Tarfon is associated or juxtaposed to the Mishnah of Rebbe and whereas the Belazar statement about Talmud Torah, in my opinion, should be seen as a balancer, or something to balance the issue of Apikorus, or certainly in that context, Rav had a very different agenda. He maintained the theme, but he elaborated it. He took the theme of seeing HaKadosh Baruch Hu as a foreman, or as an employer, and ourselves as workers, and he contoured it, or he elaborated it in very, very fine contours. And he raises four different imageries associated with the worker-employer relationship, with his goal being, of course, to stress the importance of relentless, committed Talmatara, and in particular, with a sense of time management, that time should not just be wasted, Evoking various Gemaras, for example, the one in which Chazal say that Ein Tchilas Dino Shaladam Elal Bittal Tara, that the person's first accounting in Shemayim will be Bittal Tara, or the Gemara in Shabbos, where Akadosh Baruch will ask everyone last at Lavo Kavati Itim La Tara, did you set aside time for the study of Tara, or the Gemara that says that every day the Bas call emerges from Har Sinai, echoing Ailohem Labrios Melabona Shal Tara, woe is to man. For the insult that Tara receives based on man's lack of commitment and investment in Talmud Tara. And these are all Gemaras or statements in Chazal that various Mepharshim on this Mishnah from Tarifon um, cite, comment upon, um, bring to light in context of Tarifon. But Tarifon wrote as follows, or said as follows Hayom Katsar, day short. Hamalacham Rubeh, the work is great. Hapolim Atzilim, man is lazy. Hasachar harbei, the reward is great. is and the owner or the employer has expectations or literally pressures, forces. Now, the three aspects that Rabbi Tarfon added to Rabbi Lazar's imagery were time, work per se. Hashem was already referred to as a baal malachtecha, but here the sweep, the size, the the, the volume of work, hamalacha meruba. He mentioned people's laziness, and he mentioned the expectations of the Balabais. The Sakhar Harbei, the great reward that awaits someone who studies Torah, that was already mentioned pretty extensively by Rabbi Lazar in the previous Mishnah. Rabbi Lazar concluded in Mishnah Yudalit, Neman hu your employer can be trusted, who will pay you back what you deserve. So the element of Sakhar is not something which your Tarifon Elaborates. That was already latent in Rebbe Lazar's previous statement. But the four aspects which he does elaborate are time, how brief time is, number one. Number two, the breadth of the work, the volume of the work. Laziness of man, 
Hapolim Atzelim, and the expectation of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, Ubal Habayis Dochek. And this is a way for Tarfon to stress the importance of Talmud Torah, the difficulty of Talmud Torah, the challenge of Talmud Torah, but as we would say in a mashal, in a parable, without sometimes when things are stated abstract, they flow in and out of our consciousness. But when they can be imagined in imagery, person who works, the work detail is great, the expectations are, uh, are, are endless, and a person is lazy, it can provide a context which most people can identify with. Most people, at least in the days of Chazal, found themselves in worker and employer relationships. And they could easily map the experience, the expectation, the struggle, the difficulty, map that to the world of Torah. So this is a way for Tarfon, instead of describing it in abstract, how important it is to study Torah, describe how committed a person must be. These are the four obstacles to overcome. Namely, that Torah is infinite, the infinite sweep of Torah is a function of the infinite sweep of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Time is a mortal human experience which is limited in its resource. So right there, there's, a, there's, a, there's an incompatibility between the infinity of Torah and the finitude of time. And that, the crux of the dilemma, the crux of the paradox, is heightened by human laziness. Even if human beings weren't lazy, even if human beings were driven, this would be an insoluble reality that HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Torah is infinite and human time and human resources are limited. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't avoid that dilemma, doesn't allow us to compromise on that dilemma, but expects us to be ennobled by the dilemma. Balabai's Dochek. He ratchets, ratchets up the expectation. So there's a four-part puzzle or four-part equation that creates that challenge to a human being, that call to duty. Time is limited, power is infinite, there's, a, there's an additional compromising factor that human beings are lazy, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't give us or afford us easy solution, but Baal Dochik. This is a very, one could call it, strident demand. It's strident and it's graphic. It's strident because it sets things out very clearly that human beings in Torah study have a little margin for errors, we would call it. It's not something you can take lightly. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu demands such expectations. This is not something which is, which is optional, but this is something which HaKadosh Baruch Hu expects. But then in the next Mishnah, Mishnah Tazayin, Reb Tarifon provides an important addition, an important supplement. That challenge, as stark and as strident, as overwhelming as it may sound, can also lead to frustration, disappointment, despair, and ultimately abdication. Well, if Tara is so overwhelming and time is so limited and I am so curtailed by natural penchants of human laziness, then uh, what's the point of involvement at all? So who are Yaomir Tarifon as a corrective but not a corrective which is meant to replace his statement, but just meant to balance out the two. Lo alacha hamlacha ligmor. Despite the fact that you will never reach the conclusion, the terminus of this infinite and ultimately failed pursuit, because you can never succeed in its totality, that shouldn't allow you to exempt yourself. Lo alacha hamlacha ligmor. Tara will never be completed by anyone, even a person who excels. 
in the terms of that first challenge. And not only that, and you're not allowed to opt out from the process simply because the challenge is so overwhelming and the terms of this pursuit are ultimately terms of defeat, so to speak, because ultimate victory is never achievable. And if you take the entire picture at once, Riptarfon is eloquently, very eloquently, voicing the great dilemma of Torah, that we're chasing the infinite, and that chase will always, always be partial, partial success, but we can't ignore the magnitude of the challenge, the, the dimensions of that challenge. But on the same token, we have to be ennobled by that pursuit with the recognition that we're pursuing the elusive, that we're pursuing something we'll never reach. So when my children come in and look at my svarim shelves in my room and ask me, Abba, will you ever finish these svarim or ever finish shots? And I say, well, I'm proud to say I'll never. It can be very frustrating because we're accustomed to very goal-oriented, uh, concrete accomplishments. We reach a certain endpoint and we look back and receive uh, ratification, validation, and Torah will never give that Torah. Ratification is in every step you take, you're ultimately revealing greater infinity and ultimately walking backwards. You're walking forwards quantitatively, but psychologically and experientially you're walking backwards because the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. So Tarfan is is crafting a very, very delicate couplet almost, or, or dichotomy. It's a, it's a tandem. He doesn't want to in any way diminish or trivialize the great challenge of Torah. And he articulates it very clearly and in a very compelling sense of worker, expectation, laziness, time, it's a very, very subtle, not subtle, but it's a very, very successful way to capture the great challenge of Talmatar. But that challenge can become so overwhelming, so difficult, that a person despairs of any accomplishment. So, on the one hand, everyone does their share, and everyone, in relative sense, obviously, no one captures the entirety of it. And that's an optional. And then, Rib Tarfon stresses one final aspect, which is also yielded with clarity by his discussing Torah in a worker, uh, employer, slave, owner framework. And that's uh, the entire conclusion of Mishnah Tazayin, which is really the conclusion of the second barrack. Im Lamadita Torah Harbe, if you've studied a lot of Torah, You'll merit a lot of reward. And God can be trusted to pay that reward, which is more or less a citation of Rabbi Lazar's prior statement. So here, here is the tie-in, not just the general theme of casting Torah in a worker-employer relationship, but that phrase of Rabbi Lazar, that's lifted directly from Elazar, or obviously it wasn't lifted from the text, because these people were not writing texts, they were delivering shiurim, but these are the, 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 the phrases which they used. Veda shematan scharim shal tzadikim lava. So basically, Reb Tarfon discusses three aspects of the reward, presumably the reward of Talmud Tar. 
Number one, the more Torah you study, the more reward you'll receive. Which probably is an important statement in light of the previous statement. Everyone does their part, everyone contributes their own, their own piece of the puzzle, and it can, and it should, create levels, as the Gemara says in Brachos, that some will be able to learn more Torah, some will be able to learn less Torah, and everyone's Torah has to be, there isn't one golden golden bars to how much Torah has to be studied. Akadosh Baruch realizes that different circumstances and different situations will enable different levels of Talmud Torah. But that also should create a leveling of Tzachar. The more Torah you study, the more Tzachar you'll merit. So on the one hand, Akadosh Baruch wants to legitimize or validate that people will be learning different amounts, but on the same token, the more person studies, the more Torah a person commits to, the greater the Tzachar. Now, how we can take both of those statements together, that's something only HaKadosh Baruch Hu can weave, because they are naturally contradictory. On the one hand, there's a validation of different levels. On the other hand, ultimately, the person that learns Torah gets more schar for the extra Torah he has studied. So, in the Manita Torah Harbe, if you study a lot of Torah, even though in the overall equation of Torah studyers, there are different levels, no sin l'cha Harbe. Okay? The next statement, who is Neman Bal Melachtacha Sheishan Lachaschar Pulasech, and this certainly has to be read in context of the Mishnah in Pirkeiavos Paragalif, in which Antiknus Ish Socho described a type of Avodas Hashem which almost ignores Schar. You shouldn't be like an Eved seeking Schar from his master. You should be disinterested in Zahar, disinterested in reward. As the Rambam wrote, this is the ultimate call to religion. Religion based on Avas Hashem, doing what's right because it's right, understanding the inner logic, the redemptiveness of religion. And yet here, Reb Tarfon spends close to an entire mission describing the importance of Zahar, the value of Zahar. Like everything else in, in Avodah Hashem, number one, um, there are layers. Even if we buy into Antignus's articulation, that would represent the ideal level of Avodah Hashem. But there could be a person, or there could be times in a person's life in which the 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 incentive of Schair is necessary. A person has a difficult time in identifying the pure, more ideal form of religion it has to rely upon the incentivization of Schair or fear of punishment. The Ramam describes this as Yeras Hashem, incentivized by schar or scared, terrified by punishment. And this is not necessarily the ideal, but it's certainly a valuable, valuable uh, foundation of religious success, as I described in the Shira about Antigonus Ishsocho. Um, alternatively, Rabbi Tarfan doesn't describe the person's coveting schar. That's Antigonus's discussion, and he tries to to draw our attention away from that incentive. But rather, Rib Tarfon is describing HaKadosh Baruch Hu's reliability to pay back schar, almost as if part of our understanding of HaKadosh Baruch Hu is that he is reliable and faithful. As many Rishonim and Perki Avos point out, this is part of the study of Godless Hashem, part of Yud Gimel Midos. That's a chesed, la'alafim, 
Kodesh Baruch Hu, uh, preserves the reward for thousands of generations, or the MS, HaKadosh Baruch Kirach Machanan Erech Apayim Rav Chesed VMS, and part of the way that the Rishonim interpret the phrase MS, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, can be trusted, is fa- it can be, can be relied upon to, to outlast history and to create long-term accounting and long-term reciprocation of just deserves. So, if a person is driven religiously by the desire for reward, then that is an inferior. That's a tainted form of Avodah Hashem. It's still important sometimes, even though it's inferior. Maybe, maybe tainted is too harsh a word, but it's certainly not the ideal individual should strive for. On the other hand, we can't deny Sar, and it's an important part of understanding HaKadosh Baruch Hu's and his role in Hashgach HaPratis and Schar Ve'onish. You can't deny Schar Ve'onish. You can't convert religion into a purely naturalistic or mechanistic religion that you do what's right because it's right. The person who doesn't serve Hashem is greatest Onish is that he lives a life of meaninglessness and emptiness, which is, again, a naturalistic view of religion that we can almost take Schar and Onish and write it out of the equation. There's no Schar and Onish because the life itself is Schar and Onish. Schar mitzvah mitzvah. But there is Schar and there is Onish, and, and we acknowledge it. And maybe the Talmudim of Tignis Ish Selcho, as I mentioned in the previous year, um, misunderstood the Rebbe. He wasn't, he wasn't disputing the presence of Schar and Onish. He was merely trying to articulate its role in the religious experience of a human being and, and what attitude a person adopts. And the Tarifon is very adamant, as Rebbe Lazar was, And then he concludes with another statement, which is highlighted or highlights the, the role of Schar, is, Just as a workman is paid after the work is complete. Similarly, the true Schar for a tzaddik doesn't occur during the work during the term, during this world. But that true schar is delayed. The Yasid level. In the next world, whether it be Achris Hayamim, at a national level, Olam Haba, at a personal level. And that's part of what this imagery of a worker, laborer, employer, this whole system, on the one hand, it creates a more compelling, graphic, direct sense that's the power of a mushal. I have to say, honestly, I, I don't, I'm not equipped for understanding, at least on a personal level, the power of a mushal. Very often when I hear a mushal, I'm not really sure why it has such an impact, a mushal. I, I read ideas that people write, I read svarim, uh, I read, I read uh, you know, messages that people deliver, and the message hits me, and I try to incorporate, internalize it, and, and see what I can make of it. And then when a person tries to pitch, that message in the context of a mushal doesn't really add, at least in my mind, doesn't make it more of a compelling message. But obviously, for many, many people, it was a important device, at least. I'm not so sure today in the modern context how powerful a mushal is, at least in, in my circles. I don't really hear too many people employing a mushal, at least in, in moral issues. Sometimes when we're trying to explain a Gemara, very abstract, elusive logic, so maybe you'll place that logic into a more palpable case that people can sink their teeth into and digest. But 
when an idea is raised, uh, uh, I'm not sure, but the Chavetz Chaim writes a lot of Mishalim, obviously, and the Divya Magid was an expert at Mishalim. And you read the Svarim of the 19th century, some of the 20th century, some of the 19th century, 18th century. This was a very, very powerful tool to convey an idea. Well, the more abstract the idea, the more necessary the mushal. That's why in Talmudic logic, sometimes a mushal is so important. And Ritarfan is trying not just to convey the importance of Talmud Torah, but capture the dilemma, and it's almost a dilemma within a dilemma. There's a dilemma of Talmud Torah. It's, it's, it's a mismatch almost. How can a human being with limited time and resources, coupled with moral failure of laziness, capture the infinity of Torah? So in order to articulate that, he describes a, and I'll use this word carefully, a, a futile, almost, a futile situation of a worker who can't necessarily at all meet expectations has to try his hardest. And the futility of the situation should create determination and motivation. But the size of that challenge can't create disengagement or despair. And lo lecham ligmar ben chorin. Very similar to an interesting Gemara in Menachos, the Gemara in Menachos on Daf Tzadik Tes, has a different way of capturing this this conundrum. Tana Deber one of the Tanaim Rabbi Shmuel based matters. Divrei Torah, lo yihu alecha chova, ve'atara shay liftar atzmacha mehen. Interesting. You shouldn't see it as a chov. On the other hand, you can't excuse yourself, which means it is a chov. And uh, at least this is one of the ways Tosos on Daf Tzadik Tes interprets the Gemara. You don't have the right to excuse yourself, but you can't assume that you have to carry the entire burden. And then he concludes Ribtar from his statement by articulating certain features of Schar, that despite the quote-unquote pluralism of Torah study, that some study more and some study less, there should be a drive to study more, because that will ultimately increase your Schar, number one. Number two, Schar is not something to be ignored, and certainly when thinking about the godless of Hashem as a Schar provider, someone who or Kaddish Baruch Hu, who lives beyond time and beyond context, who exists and delivers schar with ne'emanus, when we say the word amen, or, or, or the, we talk about Kaddish Baruch Hu's ms v'yatsiv v'nachon, it's not really Hashem's ms v'yatsiv, but Hashem v'lokichem ms, our belief is yatsiv v'nachon. And finally, the recognition that just as a worker receives compensation after the work is completed, similarly with the study of Torah.